0: This is a story about hachnasas inviting guests to your house. It shows how great the mitzvah of hachnasas is. That when you bring guests into your house, it doesn't matter who the guest is. If you bring in a guest to the house, you bring in a certain level of kedusha into your house. The story I heard. From my granduncle, Rab'aber Pliskin. Rab'aber Pliskin was my granduncle. And he was a great chassid. And a few weeks before he died, I heard the story from him. He told me that once the Talmudim of the Magid decided. To get together, the Mazrit Maggid decided to make a test. What was the test about? Well, they had a question. The question was, you know, Friday night it's Shabbos, and it says in Chassidus that Shabbos is such a holy day, such a holy day that if you are on a high level, on a high level of Yiddishkeit and of Kedusha, then you can feel the Kedusha of Shabbos inside you. You feel that that day is a very different day, it's a special day. You feel there's a special Kedusha, an extra Neshama that comes into you that feels very close to HaKadosh Baruch to Hashem. But they were questioning. They all felt very excited when Shabbos came but they weren't sure whether they really were excited because they were really able to feel the Kedusha of Shabbos, which means that during the week they served Hashem with all their heart, with their entire neshama, with all their effort, that when Shabbos came they were able to feel the Kedusha of Shabbos. Because you can only feel the Kedusha of Shabbos if the entire week you serve Hashem with the highest, the utmost way you can serve Hashem. So they thought, listen, maybe we're excited, not about Shabbos. Maybe we're just excited because everything around us makes you feel excited. For example, we dress up in very special clothes. You light candles on the table. You have your best and nicest dishes out. Oh, the aroma of the food, the special Shabbos food that you don't smell a whole week, and how about the singing, and the dancing, and the Shabbos davening and lechadidi and the singing of lechadidi, and then the kiddush and wine and shalom aleichem and the singing of shalom aleichem, all of that could make us feel very excited. So there's nothing to do it's from gashmis exactly maybe it's just from the dicky things we do, that we feel excited but it's not because something about the Kedush of Shabbos makes us excited, maybe not maybe we're not such Tzadikim maybe we're not such great people and maybe we really are not able to feel the Kedush of Shabbos and all we're feeling is you know, the effect of the dicky things, the physical things that we do so how are they going to find out? they decided to make a test. What test are they going to do? They're going to get together on a Wednesday night in the shul from the Mezritcher Maget to all of them dress up Shabbosdik with their shtrimos and their kapatis and everything. And they're going to set the table first of all, with a white tablecloth, a Shabbosdik tablecloth, beautiful fresh-baked challah, and they'll have filter fish and soup and chicken and challah and wine. And, well, of course, they can't say the brachas of Kiddush or the brachas of the Shabbos davening with Hashem's name because that would be a bracha levatala, right? A bracha in vain. So what they're going to do is they're just going to skip Hashem's name. But everything else, they'll pretend it's Shabbos. So they'll sing lechadedi and then... They'll, um, you know, sing other nigunim which they sing on Shabbos, and then they'll sit down for dinner, and they'll all sing nigunim and Smears for Shabbos. they have Shabbos candles on the table. And they'll see if they feel the same feeling of excitement that they feel on Shabbos. They'll know, uh-oh, it means on Shabbos. We don't really feel the Kiddushah of Shabbos. What we're feeling It's just the gosh-mistic things that we do, make us feel excited. the Nadveruchni is very good. But what if, what if we don't feel it? In spite of everything we do, we don't feel the excitement that we feel on Shabbos, then we'll know that on Shabbos we actually are feeling the kedusha of Shabbos. What we're excited about is the kedusha of Shabbos. And it's exactly what they did. The Talmudim got together, the Talmudim of the Masochim Magid got together. And they made a beautiful Shabbos meal, and they got together, and they danced, and they sang, just like on Shabbos. They did everything the same as they do in Shabbos. They davened with excitement, Well, they skipped Hashem's name so there wouldn't be a bracha of wouldn't be Hashem's name in vain. But other than that, they tried to make everything just the same as Shabbos. They duplicated a Shabbos on Wednesday night as, much as they cut. As much as they could. So now, when they did that, they suddenly started feeling an excitement, a big excitement, a huge excitement, an excitement as big as every Friday night. It was exactly the same type of feeling, the same type of excitement. And they said, "Oh oh this is bad news. We're all excited, just like on which means that on were we're not excited about the Kedusha. What makes us excited is just the food, and the singing, and the clothes, and so on. And they became very upset. Because that means that they're not really serving Hashem properly. Because a tzaddik who serves Hashem properly, when Shabbos comes, he's in the Shambah, can really feel the condition of Shabbos. You know, like the story with the rishon when he was a little boy, and he learned with his Rebbe, Uh, the Gemara, where the Gemara says, what happens if a Jew is lost in a desert and doesn't know when Shabbos is, what should he do? So there are two opinions in the Gemara. One opinion is, he should make Shabbos that day. Because he doesn't know, maybe today is Shabbos. And then he should count six days, and he makes Shabbos again. The other opinion is that he counts six days of regular days, and then the seventh day, he should pretend it's Shabbos. Okay? Okay, this is the your opinions, how you should do. So Rabbi Yisrael, who was a little boy, learned his mother with his rabbi, he said, Rebbe, I don't understand the Gemara. He says, what? Don't you understand? So his Rebbe said to him, what do you mean you don't understand? Somebody's lost in the desert, and he doesn't have a calendar, he doesn't know when Shabbos is. He said, God, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Yisraelical says to Rebbe, what does it mean you don't know when Shabbos is? you need a calendar to tell you when Shabbos is? So his Rebbe says to him, so how else do you know when Shabbos is? Says so when Friday night comes, after sunset, when you look at the sky, you can see Shabbos. You can actually see the world is different than Shabbos. There's a kedusha that comes into the world that you can feel. It's different. How can somebody not know? But of course, Is Rebbe didn't understand that this Yisraelite was a great Shabbat already from the early, somebody he was very young. So that's why he didn't understand why Yisrael doesn't understand. But Yisrael really didn't understand this demurra because he couldn't understand that he thought everybody else sees what he sees. Everybody else feels on Friday night exactly what he feels. So even if it's in the desert and he doesn't have a calendar, he doesn't know when Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is. when Friday night comes, he'll surely find out, not because anybody's going to tell him, but because the Kedusha of Shabbos will come down into the world and he'll feel it. He has a shaman that is so pure, so heilig that he can feel it. So, so the Talmud went to the Mezuzah market and they complained. They said, we thought that we were at least serving Hashem enough that when come Shabbos, we would feel the Kedusha of Shabbos. But now, we just did an experiment. We just did a test and we found out that actually on a Wednesday night, we felt the same excitement as on Shabbos, which means we're not really feeling Shabbos, we're feeling something else, something from the Gashmines. So the physician Magid asked him a question. and said, listen, before you get all depressed, and before you get all upset, let me ask you a question. So the physician said, what, what is it, what is it? So he says, well, does anybody remember seeing a guest that came into the show while you were eating that Shabbos meal on Wednesday night. Does anybody remember when there was a poor man coming in and he sat down and ate with you by the table? Do you remember? Was there a guest at the table? People said, no, we don't remember. We don't remember. We don't remember inviting anybody. It was just us, Talmidim. We did it for ourselves. Then finally one of the Talmidim said, wait a second, I remember. While we sitting those mirrors by the table, I suddenly saw a poor man walking into the show with his bag and his shoes all dusty from the road. He walks in and as soon as he sees what's going on at the table, his eyes popped open so big in astonishment. What's going on? Am I confused? I think it's Wednesday night today, but they're keeping Shabbos. He couldn't believe it. Uh, am I am I mixed up? Do I have my days mixed up? I said, no, but I know it's Wednesday today because this morning I wasn't showing people put on tefillin. Well, maybe it's Friday night. But no, I saw people traveling outside. A lot of fruit Jews were doing beluches. The they were, you know, traveling and, and and building and lighting fires. I don't know. This doesn't make sense. But you know what? As he was thinking, one of the Talmudians said, Come on, come in, Moshe to him to come in and sit down and have him meal. He was very hungry, he was very poor, he hasn't eaten in two days. So you know what? He threw down his bag. Didn't ask too many questions, he forgot about his question, whether it's Shabbos or not. He just ran to the table and sat down and ate he could fill the fish and the chicken and the soup and the challah and the wine. Who cares? It's Shabbos, it's Wednesday. The food is the food, Right? This still, hey, I'm going to eat. And then he laughed with his bag. So, the mazit heard this. He said, Ah, I want to tell you something. Don't you guys worry. I know you. You're my talmidim. And I know each one of you is a great tzaddik. And each one of you davens and learns and serves Hashem a whole week with your whole heart and soul. There's no question that when Shabbos comes, Hashem allows you to feel the Kedushah of Shabbos. Now, the reason you felt the same kedusha on Wednesday night is because you actually felt the Kedushah of Shabbos on Wednesday night. The kedusha of Shabbos on Wednesday night? What do you mean a The says like this, When you bring a guest into your house, when you bring a guest into your house, you do the mitzvah, in your house. You know what happens to your house? A kedushah of Shabbos comes into the house. And therefore, you guys felt the kedusha of Shabbos once a night because you had a guest. But it's not because it was the Gashmis that made you feel excitement. It was Ruchmiz that made you feel excitement. It was the Ruchnis of the kedusha of Shabbos. But... It was Wednesday night. But because you, had, um, you did the mitzvah, Hosea's him, the Gideon of Shabbos came with him. That's the story. Okay, here comes the story of Rabbi Melech of Over Rabbi Melech, when he was young, he had a very close friend, a young man who was a big Talmud Chachem and a great tzaddik, And there was a great love between the two. Rabbi Melech and his friend were very, very close, and they loved each other very much. Suddenly, this young man, who was already married, uh, he was already married, and he had a child, he suddenly got very sick, and he was about to die. And Rabbi Melech went to visit him. So the young man, the young friend, cried to Rabbi Melech, I said, "Listen, I'm leaving a young son, a young child behind, and who's going to raise him? Could you please raise my son?" So what the mother says, "I promise you that I will take care of your son, but on one condition: I want you to give me tkiyas kaf. Tkiyas means you give him a hand, and when you give a hand, you make a promise. It's like a shvur, like a nether. You have to, you have to." You have to honor it, right? You have to keep your promise. He says, give me your hand and make me a promise that when you die and you go up there in Shemayim in Himmel and they, the him judges you afterwards you'll come and tell me what happened with you. So he gave him the, uh, the, the friend, the Rabbi gave him his hand he says, I promise I'll do this. And Rabbi Melech, in return, promised him that he will raise his son. And so, the friend of Rabbi Melech passed away. Rabbi Melech kept his promise. He took the young boy to his house, and he raised him and taught him Torah. When the young man became 14 or 15, it came time for the for the boy. When the boy became 14, 15, it became time for him to get married. In those days, people got married at 14, 15. And Rabbele Malach found a Meshirach, with the daughter of a very rich man. Now, on the day of the chuppah, all the townspeople got together for the chuppah, And Rabbi Malach, of course, was there too. But before the chuppah, Rabbele Malach went into a special room And sat there by himself. Nobody knew what he was doing there. He just sat in that room. The guests that came for the chuppah waited and waited and waited. Until they didn't know what to do anymore. Should they go on with the chuppah without Rebbe LeMalach? They couldn't do that. Rebbe LeMalach after all is like the father for this boy. He raised him. But Rebbe LeMalach didn't show up. Finally, the people decided to go to the door of that room and they looked through the hole, the hole in the the keyhole. And they saw that he's sitting on a chair with his eyes closed, completely steeped in thoughts. Deep? Deep in thoughts. And so the people got afraid. They saw through the keyhole that he was sitting there completely deep in thought they didn't want to disturb his thoughts they knew that he was a heilicate Sadiq who had very important thoughts so they left, they left him alone a few hours went by again and finally Rabbi Melech showed showed up and he was the Masada kidrishin he's the one who loved the chuppah he did the chuppah the way everything then came the suda the big meal of the chassan, of the wedding. And during the meal, Abel Melach got up and said to the guests, now, let me explain to you what I did before the chuppah. You're probably wondering why I kept everybody for hours and hours waiting. I'll tell you the story. I want you to know that the father of the chassan was a very close friend of mine when we were young. He had promised me before he died that he would come and tell me what happened to him in the Besdin Shalomilo. Right? In the heavenly tribunal. On one condition. On condition that I will raise his son. And he gave me his hand and promised. I kept my promise, but he did not keep his. So I didn't want to go to the Chippu until he comes and and makes his promise true. And so I waited and waited. A few minutes before the chuppah, he came to me, alive, awake, not in a dream. I saw him in the room. He looked exactly the way he looked when he was alive. And I asked him, what happened to you in your judgment, in... Himmel and Shemaim, And he said to me the following. When I died, I didn't feel any pain. It's like the Gemara says. The Gemara says that great people, tzaddikim, when they die, the shaman leaves the body and there's no pain at all to the body. It's like pulling a hair out of a cup of milk. It's very easy, you know, just pull it out, it's smooth. Then the Gemara describes that some deaths are very painful. The Gemara gives a different marshal for those for those types of death. And the body really, really doesn't want to let go of the neshama. And the body is in pain. Wow. The, the Gemara gives a marshal wow. as, a wall, wow. as a wall. Why? Because the body wants to live in this world. Maybe it's afraid to let the neshama go. Because it knows it didn't do the right thing in this life. It hasn't done tshuva. And so what happens, the Gemara says, it's like when wool gets entangled in, in prickly thorn, It's like, uh, like a prickly plant, or maybe like a cactus. And you pull the wool, and it like pieces get stuck, and it doesn't want to let go of the wool. Anyways, he says, my death was like what the Gemara describes, like pulling a hair out of a cup of milk. It was very easy. I had no pain. It, it felt to me like I just went to sleep. Then when they took my body to clean it, as we do uh, with, with, um, with the mason, with the dead bodies, after they die, before we bury them, it's a mitzvah to clean them. Um, I felt like you know I'm alive still. Uh, I, I wanted to get up and tell them to go away from me. That I couldn't. I felt like something didn't let me get up and tell them to get away from me. It looked to me like a dream, like a nightmare. Then they put me in my caver and they closed off the caver and the people left the cemetery. So I got up from my grave and I thought I was still alive like before. It was a surprise to me. How did I end up in a cemetery here? And I started walking through the cemetery. I wanted to go back home to my house. But I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know where the gate of the cemetery was. So I climbed over the fence. And I went down from the other side. And I started going to my house. It started getting sundown. It started getting darker. On my way to my house... There was a little um canal, a little stream, so I wanted to go through the stream with my feet, and then the water started getting very high and was afraid to cross. so I decided there were two logs of wood, and I thought I would um you know float on top of those wood, but it didn't work. The water was too deep and I couldn't cross. Then on top of all that it started raining heavily and all my clothes started getting very wet from the rain and I didn't know where to go. I was on the other side of the fence of the cemetery but I couldn't go home. On one side there was a cemetery, on the other side there was this stream that I couldn't cross. And now, with sundown, it became really dark. The night set in. And I really wanted to go home. Such a desire to go home I never had in my life. I don't know what it is, but I had this intense desire to go back to my family. In some great agony and pain, I began to cry to Hashem. Suddenly, a man appeared to me, a man who was very tall. He was tall from the ground all the way to Shammayim. So tall was he. He said to me, he asked me, why are you crying? And I told him, I want to go home and I can't. So the man told me, Oi, you're soulish. Don't you know you're not in this world anymore? You already passed away. This is your You're not in Olam he took me, lifted me up from the earth and raised me all the way to the Besden Show. my law the Besden started checking into my um, my judgment, they couldn't find anything wrong with me anything that I would deserve to go to Gehenna for only a tiny little blemish Tiny little stain they found in me. Which they um, couldn't decide to send me to Gan Eden because of this stain, because of this blemish. But also couldn't send me to Gehenna because I was generally good. So the decision was that they'll put me in a place, in a Heichal. A Heichal is a chamber, a, a spiritual place in, in Shemaim one door is open to Gehenna and the other door is open to Ganeid and by looking at the pain of the Dishayim in Gehenna my Avera will be forgiven that small blemish that I have will be removed and immediately I was delivered into the hands of an appointed Malach who took me to that special chamber where I was supposed to be in order to forgive and atone for my small aveva. When I was in that chamber and I looked at the door which was facing Gehenna, and I saw people that I knew when I was still alive in this world in Gehenna, and I heard the pain and the crying from people in Gehenna, I couldn't look there. It was very difficult to see. So I closed my shut my eyes not to look, and then there was the great joy and pleasure of the Tzaddikim in Gan Eden from the other side I also couldn't stand to look at because I knew I couldn't go there then came Erev Shabbos and Erev Shabbos all the neshamas from Gan Eden are let free they don't go to Gehen- there's no Gehenna on Shabbos so I told to the Malach that was Pointed over my place in, Gan Eden, in, in, in in heaven, and said, I also want to go out of this chamber. Please let me out. It's of Shabbos. Even the people from Gehenna set free. So the appointed malach said that he has no permission to do this. So I said to him, why don't you go and ask the presidential malach? See if I have the same privileges, the same rights as the people in Gehenna. He went and asked and they answered yes, he has permission to get out of that chamber. So that's when I went outside. I saw when I went outside that chamber tens and thousands of neshamas who were going back and forth in Shammayah to go and prepare for Shabbos. to, to, To welcome the queen of Shabbos. Suddenly, I saw a very, very big malach. And all the neshamas were rushing to that malach and embraced that malach. And I asked, What is this? And they said to me, This malach was created from a very heilige Torah. A Torah, a Drosha, that Rabbi Malek had just said on Friday night. Rabbi Malek said a Dvar And from that Torah, he said it with such kavana, with such uh, pure intentions of of nishma, that a big malach, a, very, a pure holy malach, was created from this. And everybody wants to hug that malach, because through that malach they can feel some of the kedusha of the Torah of Rabbi the Malach. When I heard this, I realized, I mean this is Rabbi the Malach, that tzaddik. He was my friend, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to capitalize on this. I mean, I'm going to take advantage of this. If the malef is so important in Shammayim, I will tell them that I am his friend. And I helped him and I took care of him. I was very close. And for that alone, I deserve to go to Gan Eden. On Moth's Shabbos, the appointed Malach came to me and said, okay, it's time to go back into the Heichal, time to go back into your special chamber. So I told him, no, I don't want to go there. So the appointed malach says, wait, wait, you can't do this to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a messenger of the best in Milo, and I have to do my duties.
1: So you can't tell me that. I
0: mean, I, I'm, it's not my, my responsibility. I mean, it's not my, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. So I told this malach, listen, listen to me. Go to the best and, and talk, tell them, that I was a friend of Rabbi Melech. Therefore, I don't want to go back into that chamber. I want to go straight to Gan Eden. So the appointed Malach of the Besdin went and told the, the Besden exactly what I said. And they answered him, it's true. It's true that he's right. That he was a friend of Rabbi Melech. But he had made a promise to Rabbi Melech. And because of that promise, he can't go to Gan Eden he must go and tell, and and, and keep his promise to Rebbe Malach, and tell him what happened to him. And then he can go straight to Gan Eden, And he won't have to go back to that special chamber. So I started going to Rebbe Malach, and it took me a long time. And now I arrived right before the chuppah to tell him everything that happened to me. Rebbe Malach told all this during the meal of the wedding to all the guests and he said this friend of mine told me please write down on a piece of paper that I have fulfilled and kept my promise and that from now on you don't hold me responsible for this promise anymore I'm released from that promise and I said to him okay good I'll do that but could you please stay for the hope of your own son now that you're here, stay for the chuppah. And he said to me, please, I can't. Don't hold me up. You can't imagine the joy and the pleasure which Nisham is having in Aden. Right now, after all these years I've been in Shemayim, this physical world means nothing to me. It's meaningless. So the malef says, I gave him a little piece of paper where I wrote down that I release him from his responsibility because he has kept his promise, and he left. And that's when I came to the Chutma. And finished the story and said, from here we can learn a very important Musa Haskel. That means an important lesson. Look at such a great person as this young man. I knew him. He was a great Sadduk. Nevertheless, to keep his promise, he had to wander for so long just to fulfill and to keep what he promised. You know, how much more, we simple people, how we must be careful with what we say and what we do. Okay, since we're talking about keeping promises, there's a great story with a great tzaddik and a great Goan. His name was Rebavrom Abishol from Frankfurt. Rebavrom Abishol Frankfurter was a great gohan. He lived around the time of the Baal Shem Tov. He were many for him and he was a very big honor. A gohan means a great Talmud Chacham. He knew the whole Shas, Bavli, Yerushalmi, and the whole Tehren, Rambam, all the He also knew a lot of Kabbalah. He wrote many, many, very, very, very brilliant swarm But he was a very big Anav. A big Anav. He never thought of himself much. So much so that he didn't even think there was people even thought of him any special. He didn't even realize that people thought he was any special. In fact, to tell a story about him, that once, in Frankfurt, there was a minhag, a custom, that during market day, twice or three times a year, there was a big market in Frankfurt where all the Jews from all over Europe would come, all the big merchants would come and do business and buy and sell stuff. And it was a minute in Frankfurt that one Shabbos a year, during the market season, when people come to the special shows, where people are trading horses and, and clothes and garments and all types of things, uh, log merchants, people used to have forests to sell their, their wood on the market. It was a big trade center a trading center. And during that Shabbos, one Shabbos a year, it was called yah a Yahweh Kala. in the Gemara means uh, like a few days where people who work a whole day, who are business people, would learn Torah. Great Rabbani would give them shiurim. So one Shabbos during the year when all the merchants, all the business people were in town in Frankfurt, the Rav, the Abishal Frankfurter, who was famous for his great, great guidance. He was a huge, huge Talmud Chacham. All over the world, people were in awe of him because his learning and his chidushim the things that he wrote in his Fahim, was so brilliant, so profound, so deep, that even the greatest Chachamim of the generation were like so respectful and so in awe of him. They saw what a great going he was. So, Rabbi Abishal himself would come and give a three-hour drasha, a pilpul, like a drasha on the Gemara, on some subject, and all the, 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 the business people would come to the show, and many of them would tell to me too. Some business people learn Torah, not some. It's a mitzvah for you to learn Torah, even if you're a businessman. So many of them were Tarmid HaRachamim, but they decided not to be Rabbanim. They did business. So they would come to the base medrash. And a whole afternoon Shabbos, the Baal would give this incredible drasha, which would weave together the whole Shaz, Bravo, Yerushalmi, everybody was waiting for that Shabbos. This was like the most incredible Shabbos. Many, many thousands of business people would wait that Shabbos when they go to Frankfurt and hear the great go and Rababish will give his famous grasha once a year. Now, Rababish had another minag during that weekend. He knew there were a lot of rich business people in Frankfurt. So he thought it was a good time to raise money, tzedakah, for poor people. So he would go from hotel to hotel, from one inn to the next inn. Amotis Shabbos, not on Shabbos, right. Amotis Shabbos on Sunday or Thursday. People used to come from Thursday till Monday. It was a long, a long weekend because people didn't do business on Shabbos. So he would go whenever it was not Shabbos and go knock on doors. And the Bible looked like a very simple man. He didn't look like a ghalv. He didn't walk out a ghalv. You know, he looked like a, you know, dressed very simple. He never needed any money. And he would never introduce himself. To him. I am the Rav Rababashal. He says, I'm, 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 I'm Avram. I'm, I'm Abish. My name is Abish. And I'm raising money for some Yasimimim, orphans and almanas, widows who don't have what to eat. Could you help out with something? Now, some people who knew his face and they recognized him, they knew, oi, this is Rababashal himself coming. They would, give, they would give him a lot of money that other people didn't know. They thought it was just a beggar or somebody. who would give him money. Once he was knocking on a door, and a voice from inside the room in the hotel was a Jew, a, a businessman who came for the weekend, a homieed, shouted and said, Yes, come in! And the Bible will open the door, and the man was so busy counting his money and writing down the numbers, of how much he made, and how much he has to sell, and so on. He was a businessman. So he didn't have time to even look at Ghabar Bishol. He just said, yeah, well, what can I help you with? And Ghabar says, yeah, I'm raising money. He gave his whole thing, you know, I'm raising money for poor people. And the rich man said, okay, here, take a few coins. Take his own day. Ghabar Bishol took it and left. A few minutes later, the rich man, you know, was looking for his gold cane. He had a cane which he walked with. Rich people used to have a cane, not only when they had a bad leg and they needed support. You know, like old people. Uh, yeah, but in the olden days they thought I looked important. Right, he looked important, exactly. In the olden days people thought you looked important when you have a beautiful cane. And he had a cane made out of pure gold because he was rich and he liked to show it off. I'm a rich man. Everybody looked, oh, 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 this guy's got a cane made of pure gold. Oh, oh, everybody respected him. And he liked that respect. He looked around, the cane wasn't there. He couldn't find, it was Gaiver. That's right. But some people, you know, we all have a little bit of a Yetzirah on different things. And some of us have a Yetzirah of Gaiver. He couldn't find his cane. After the left, He looked for his cane. He wanted to go out, but he couldn't find his cane. He said, Ah, I know that poor man that just came in. He must have stolen my cane, my gold cane. And he grabbed his jacket and ran out to look for the He couldn't be too far yet because he just left about five minutes ago. He ran outside, looked in the little alleys right outside the hotel, and lo and behold, he saw the the poor man walking. And he ran over there, and says, where is my cane? Give me my cane back, you thief, you got it. The Bible says, I, I, I didn't steal it, I promise you, I didn't steal it. And the man says, you liar, I just had my cane in my room and now as soon as you left, it disappeared. What did you do? Did you sell it to someone? Where is it? Tell me who you sold it to. You and where is the money you got for it? The Bible says, I promise you, I don't know anything about your cane, I didn't touch it. And the man throws him on the ground. He throws Rababashal on the ground. The great, great Sadiq, the great god Rababashal. But he didn't know it was Rababashal. He heard of Rababashal, of course. And he was ready. He was he, he was eager to go, excited to go to the big drosh of Rababashal on Shabbos afternoon. This was Friday morning. So, but he didn't know that this was Rababashal. He thought this was just a poor thief who, who, who stole his cane. And he threw him on the ground and kicked him and says, You give me, tell me quickly where it is. And Ababashal says, I promise you, I don't know. And the man just left him. He said, he saw he couldn't get anything out of him, went back to his room, and grinding his teeth, and went back to his room and looked. And then, an hour later, he found the cane. It was in a closet. He had misplaced it. But Ababashal, what did he do? Ababashal didn't even get upset. You know, okay, you know, the poor guy, you know, he lost his cane. <laughs> he thought I did it, but I didn't. I didn't steal it. He just brushed off his dust and kept going to the next door and asking for more money with a smile on his face. Then came Shabbos afternoon, and the whole city is on wheels, Jews walking everywhere in the streets, some with shdraimels and some with hats and some with yarmulkes, the Jews from all over Europe In Frankfurt, and everybody wants one thing only. They want to hear the great famous Rababishel speak in the base Medrash. Thousands of people are streaming to the main shul of Frankfurt. And so our friend, that rich businessman who accused Rababishel of stealing his gold cane, also, he says, a little bit of a Talmud Tachem. we would love to hear Bashal speak. He goes to the shul, and by the time he arrives, it's already packed, packed with people. He can hardly get in, but he squeezes and squeezes in. He wants to get a glimpse at least of the Babishu, of the great famous God of Suddenly, hush, it's quiet. Babashel is going up to this Bima to give his drasha. And from all of Europe are there in the show, sitting in the Mizrach in front to, to, to hear, Lubavitcho and then there are many hundreds and hundreds of business people sitting in the show waiting to hear the three-hour riveting speech of Rabbi And our friend, the rich businessman, is getting on his tippy toes, looking between the heads that are ahead of him, trying to get a glimpse of Rabbi And for a moment, ah, he sees him but oy, as soon as he sees him he can't believe his eyes oy, he feels his knees are buckling he's losing his consciousness he's fainting and you know why he fainted because he realized that the man that is standing on the beam is actually the person he kicked and threw on the ground accusing him of stealing his gold cane the man fainted and a commotion started around him. People saw the man is fainting. They didn't know what to do. They took him out and they gave him some fresh air and a little bit of water and he came back to his senses. And they asked him, what happened? He said, you know, well, I didn't feel well. I didn't feel well. But I got to go back in. He says, no, don't go back in. You go back in, you're going to faint again. He says, no, 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 don't worry about it. I got to go back in. Well, you do what you do, but uh, you know, we can't, uh, you know, we don't know. We can't take responsibility for you. He says, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. And he squeezes in to the shoal and he waits for hours for Rabbi to finish. And now when Rabbi finished his speech, people would make a line. You know, like they make a line when the rabbi would go through in 770 and, you know, there was like, even if there were thousands of people squished, suddenly there would be room for the rabbi to walk through, right? People be make a p- path so the rabbi could walk through easily, right? Same thing they did for Rabbi our friend, the rich man, now squishes through suddenly, very aggressively through all the people in the back of the show, making his way all the way to the bima. And he does it so vigorously, so strongly, so intensely, that he finally makes it close to the bima. And Rababashel is just about to step down from the bima, walking to his place, to his seat, by the Mizrach wall, by the Mizrach wand. And our friend pushes through the ranks, the front row, which was standing right by the path that was made the Rababishol. And he jumps out in the middle of the path. And he goes down and is on the ground, throws himself on the ground, in front of Rababishol. He wants to ask him a forgiveness. But Rababishol, before the man could throw himself on the ground, Rababishol sees him and recognizes him and immediately says to him, Oi, it's you again. Let me tell you, I promise you, I didn't do it. Don't you understand? I I, I I feel bad for you. I wish I could help you. But you know, please trust me. Trust me. I, I really didn't do it. The man was shocked. The man was shocked. He was going to cry and apologize to the barbershow. Rabbi HaBishol instead thought that he's coming to accuse him again. When the Tzanzer Rebbe told that story once, he said, you see, people think an honor is somebody who says, okay, I'm an onav, you know, doesn't make a big deal about himself. Now, a, a true honor is a Yid who doesn't even think that anybody thinks of him anything. He doesn't even realize that people think of him as anything special about him. Rabah was standing there for three hours giving an incredible drasha. The greatest ge'inim of the generation was sitting there in awe, in bittle watching every word coming out of Ababashal's mouth. Can you imagine if you were in his shoes, you'd feel great. For Ababashal it didn't register at all in his mind that people really revere him. To him, he was in his own world. He was in his world of Torah and Kedushan. And it was just him speaking Torah. It was nothing to do with him and his ego. He didn't even register in his mind that he is so great and everybody thinks of him so great. So when he went down to Bima, he came down to the Bima, he saw this man, the first thing that crossed his mind, Oh, he thinks I did it and I really didn't. Let me explain it to him. <laughs> now That means a yid. Is bottle As the great Chassid, the Rishbaatz once said, there was a Chassid, the Rishbaatz, Rishmuel Betsalol. He was a rebbe of the Friederich rebbe and of the Rebbe Rashab And he was also a Chassid of the Samach Chedik still. And the Rishbaatz once said, he says in Minsk, is a city of Minskagden. He was very old. He was very old yeah, when he was when he passed away. And he said in the city of Minskagden there was a group They were called the Kat Hatznei Leches. The group of people who are very humble. Hatsne means they, they're humble, they hide. You know, they keep all their great mitzvahs and the great learning of Torah behind covers. They don't let anybody know about it. And there was a whole group. You had to be a member of that group to be a member of the Hatznei Leches, the people that do everything in hiding, all their mitzvahs and all their great deeds so what says, I have three questions about them, first question is if they are all so humble, and they hide everything they do, their great tzitkes, they hide from everybody how come people hear about them how come they are so famous everybody heard about this you know, this committee, or this uh, group, this association of the Hatzni Lachas how will people hear about them if they're so quiet and secretive about their work secondly he said how do you become a group if everybody does everything so secretively because they're so humble, how do they become a group and know of each other how do you make a group out of humble people who don't want anybody to know what they're doing and how great they are and the third question, that was the most important question who are they hiding from? Who are they hiding from anyway? In other words, Bittu doesn't mean that, oh, I'm going to be battle, I'm going to hide from this person, and hide from that person. Bittu means that to begin with, you don't realize there's anything unique about what you're doing. Your Hashem gave you certain talents and certain strength to learn Torah. And if you learn Torah, hey, it's a great source that you can learn to Hashem's Torah. What's there to be proud of? And who is there to hide from? And that was Rabbi Bishau. Now, I didn't tell you the other story which I was trying to tell you to begin with. Now, this is Rabbah Bishau. Now, Rabbi Bishau had another very great leader. He never, hmm. never made a promise that he couldn't keep. If he said something he's going to do, he would do anything in his power, even sometimes doing things that were Putting him at risk in order to keep his promise, he was very big on that. You have to—if you make if something comes out of your mouth, it's halak. You got to do it. Once he was traveling with his bala gola to another city because he was invited, his wagon driver. He was invited to come and, and attend to a bris, and so he went to that city to be the sandik. Maybe it was a mile too. I don't remember but he was asked to come and do a bris. On the way, they had to pass through a village, which was known as a very anti-Semitic village. All the peasants and the people of the village hated Jews, and if a Jew was ever found crossing that village, they would stone the wagon and the Jew. Many of the Jews were very badly hurt going through that city, that village. And nobody, no Jew would ever go through there. They would always go around and around and around when they had to go in that direction. So when Rebbe came close to the village, the wagon driver, Malagola, said, listen, Rebbe, we're not going to go through that village. As you know, this is a very dangerous place for Jews. Let's go around and around. So when I was in a around. But you know, the horses, they're not going to get tired and exhausted from making them work so hard. He yeah, they'll get a ho- but they're horses. The Bible says, no. The Bible says, it's we shouldn't do that to the horses to make them go extra way because of this village. Let's wait here for five minutes. I feel that in ten minutes from now, five, ten minutes from now, there's going to be a fire in that village and all the peasants are going to be very busy putting out the fire. And when they're busy putting out the fire, it's time for us to get in and go through that village. Because they're not going to notice us. They're going to be too busy to save their property. And the Balagola waited. They waited for 10 minutes, and lo and behold, they heard sirens going off in the village, and everybody was rushing to the place of the, the site of the fire. And the Rabab, Raba said, now it's time for us to get quickly through the village, and they did. After they crossed the village, the Balagola sighed heavily said, uh, sighed in relief and said, Rebbe, tell me, how did you know there's going to be a fire? What, well, you have Ruh The Bab-Bisha says, no, I don't have Ruh HaKadosh, I'm just an ordinary Jew. So, so how did you know? So I'll tell you. You should know something. I'll tell you the secret. You can do the same thing, he said to the Balagol. The Balagol was a very simple Jew, but the Babushah said to him, I want you to know you can do the exact same thing I did. No difference. I'll tell you the secret. When you keep your promise every time you make it, if you're careful to always do what you promise to do, no matter what, tell Messiris Nefesh, then Hashem gives you a gift. What's the gift? That what you say will always happen. Since you keep your promise always, you never break your promise. As it says in Sfarim, your mouth is like a klishorez. It's like a holy vessel in the of Mikdash. When you use your mouth carefully, for words of Torah, your mouth becomes helik. So any promise you make, you have to keep very holy. Because it's spoken by a it's by a helik vessel. So I always keep my promise. So therefore, Hashem gave me a present that when I say something is going to happen, it happens. It's a simple trick. You can do the same. But you have to remember, sometimes it can be very difficult to keep a promise you make. But you have to keep it no matter what. It says in forum, in Helik Sforam, that there's a hint for this point, which Rabbi Bishar made to the Balagola and the Chumash. It says, A person should never break his promise. Anything that comes out of his mouth, he should do. So there's another way of reading this. If somebody doesn't break his promise, then Anything that comes out of such a person's mouth, Ya'aseh Hashem will make happen. In other words, Hashem will make sure that whatever that person says and wishes to happen will happen.